Hi, I'm Miles Mandrell, and I'm a freelance director and musician in New York City. And this is my couch. Slouching. I'm like very self-conscious about like it. Self- okay. okay. I'm like super self-conscious about it. <laughs> I can understand. We're gonna count that as the beginning. So, uh, hello, welcome to um, yet another episode of Other People's Couches. Uh, is this episode? You don't know, Ray. Is this episode four or five? Five, right? Episode five. I like oh. to keep track. Um, and I'm here with the wonderful Miles Manuel. Um, I'm saying that correct. Yes, you are. Yeah. You are. I wasn't sure if it'd be like a Manueli. A man- I get that every once in a while because you can't really tell what ethnicity the last name is. That's true. What is the ethnicity for that? What one? do you think it is? Oh, what a terrible question. Uh, German. That's that's a noble guess. Um, okay. It's actually made up from Ellis Island. My understanding is that when my oh. ancestors came over from what was then Prussia and what is now Latvia, it was something more robust like Mondville, but... It was too cumbersome for them to say at Ellis Island, so they wrote down whatever the hell they felt like writing. I think Ellis Island was, like, made America that much less interesting. Probably. That's everyone. why we have a lot of Smiths and Greys who are fascinating people with dull last names. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, you get the whole, you know, the whole John Smith and... I wonder, actually, was Smith an actual last name before you came over, before, like, uh, Ellis Island happened? Uh, I mean, Blacksmiths. Oh, true. You okay. know. Shoe Smiths. Smiths, people who made things. Smiths. Mm-hmm. Timer Smiths. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, Miles, as he uh, said, is a director, freelance director. Now, how mm-hmm. does that? How does a freelance director work? Do you just kind of throw yourself into a production, answer Craigslist ads? Uh, actually, very few things that I do come off of Craigslist. Um, basically, it's all about who you know. And finding assistant directing gigs in New York is like finding a needle on a haystack. A lot of it has to do with writing directors, especially those whose work you admire, which is something that I'm about to like really sit down and focus on shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the gigs that I've had this year and been fortunate enough to have worked on came out of pre-existing relationships. Um, I am the social media coordinator for the movement the- the social media coordinator for the movement theater studio. I can speak English, but I stumble over my words sometimes. Ellis Island kind of, you know. Kind of you know, you know. <laughs> um, but movement theater studio has been really great. I do social media for them, and one of the co-directors is Adrian Capstein, who is a movement theater, er, one of the co-directors is Adrian Capstein, who was uh, one of the assistant movement coordinators on War Horse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. She's like the real deal. So I got in touch with her and I said, hey, do you guys have anyone who uses this work that we do at the studio um, who uses it in terms of directing? And she said, you know what? Actually, I would be happy to have you. So I got to assist her. That's wonderful. Yeah. So we did a show called Light, a Dark Comedy, which went up at the New Victory Theater as part of their lab work series. And it starred Tammy Stronach from The NeverEnding Story. Oh, I have no idea who that is. She was the childlike uh, princess. The childlike queen? Childlike Empress. The Childlike Empress. From the first one? Yeah, from the first one. I, you know, I haven't seen those. All I just remember is that, like, being unnecessarily upset when something bad happened in that film. Did Artak die someone? I don't remember. I haven't seen it since they used to do reruns of it on the Disney Channel. That's the only time I ever actually saw it. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. Okay. Well, but that's wonderful. And mm-hmm. then, um, what else, like, have you gotten anything else from that, or...? 
Well, the next the thing that I'm working on right now is I'm working on a new another new play called Flamingo uh, by Alex Trout, which is going up at the Sanguine Theater Company, mm-hmm. and I got hooked up with that because my roommate Alec did a show with them in the fall called Exit 27. It was another new play. And we got friendly with the artistic director, and I sent her an email when I found out they were doing this play because I'd heard, actually heard a reading of it, and mm-hmm. I really liked it. So I said, hey, um, I'm interested in this. If you would like me, I would be happy to lend my services. And so we've been working on that. So now how is it that you... Uh, are able to send these like nice emails and ha- get something out of it while somebody like uh, myself or other people I know who are like, hey, I like what you do also. Can I help and never get a response? Is there a trick to it? Do you throw in like some no, jokes? No, I think it's statistics and it's also who you know because I have just as many unreturned emails that I stew over every and once don't in wanna, a while. You don't want to bring those up. That's right. totally fair. You yeah. know, and I think it's a rite of passage. You know, um, They say that the brick walls kind of exist to see how badly you want things. So if you really want something, you know, you'll email more than once. And I I have infinitely more unreturned emails than I do returned emails. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I'm still pretty busy. Well, I just uh, sent Michael Sarah an email um, asking, because he just uh, released an album. That was actually pretty good. I liked it. And um, it's like, contact Michael Sarah on his Bandcamp page. Mm -hmm. I was like... Obviously, I'm going to contact Michael Sayer, and he hasn't returned my email yet, so... Well, he's an international celebrity. That would yeah, be like asking like, Kate Blanchett if you could take her out for gelato. There is absolutely <laughs> no way that Kate Blanchett and Michael Sarah are on the same level. No offense to either of them. They're both international celebrities. But, like, it's Michael Sarah. Right, right. You know, he's, like, weird. I thought maybe, you know... He you might run into him at a bar or something. He's doing a show on Broadway in the fall. Oh, I think I just... Uh, it's in previews now, right? You know, it's a three-person. Yes, it's this is our youth, which is a great play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently, the reviews were great. I don't know where I saw the. Oh, we went to go see Frank the other yesterday. Frank? Yeah, the uh, Michael Fassbender film. It's about the guy with the the comedian. Oh, I thought you meant an actual person named Frank. Oh no, no, we went. Don't you know Frank? The Frank? Oh my God, Frank! Uh, Have you not heard? But um, yeah, it was. They had a preview. That's I've never seen a stage play with like actual previews in a movie theater. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Unless it's like a musical, like a Sondheim or... Sometimes they do that, depending on how it's being done and also who's in it. And, like, sometimes they'll do um, broadcast at National Theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, going off of the emails and stuff, so you are... Now, you said you did The Ugly One, which I looked up um, and saw that it's a a German play. Yes. And um, the New York Times had a great review of it, and then you did a revival a year later? See, the thing is that I... revival? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that the play had premiered in New York as recently as it had, because, <laughs> because I wasn't in New York when the play premiered. Oh, yeah, fair, fair. And I read it, and I really wanted to do it as a directing project, and it just never transpired, mm. but I still really wanted to do it. So I actually wrote to McKenna um, Productions. Oh, right, because I saw the right, movie mm-hmm. right, and they gave me $2,000 to do it. Oh, wonderful. And the deal was with the rights company that I could produce the play and get the rights to it, I just couldn't have reviews because it would compare it to the Soho production. Ah, that's why. Because I was trying to find yeah. reviews. It's like, ugly one, Miles Manuel. No, reviews. And such a shame because everyone on it just had such a good time. I, it was the best thing that I directed and I had like the time of my life directing it. And it just, time-wise, didn't work out in a way that I could have it reviewed. Right. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. But you enjoyed it. So much so that actually you wouldn't even let me see like a bootleg copy because you don't well, want that to da- taunt the experience. So. Honestly, like we worked really hard to create uh, a the- uh, an experience that was uniquely theatrical using a mm-hmm. lot of movement. Mm-hmm. And the theater itself was probably not much bigger than this room. 
Um, it was a 30-seater, and if you, when I watched the video, I just thought to myself, oh my god, this does not in any way represent what happened in the audience that night, because, um, you know, there were certain characters that, like, the audience just, like, ate right up, mm-hmm. and you might be a little perplexed why the audience starts applauding in the middle of the show, because you can't see the oh, way an actor right. exited particularly. Okay. Um, but if you listen to it, you get the gist of what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, it was the first time I could ever, like, look back at my work and, like, watch it and think objectively, oh, okay, this, this, and this, and not just beat myself up and go, oh, you should have been this, and you should have been that, and, you know. Well, I think if anybody within a creative light, though, like, there's a certain sense of maturity, too, where you're not so devastated every time one yeah. thing goes wrong. Yeah. No, a lot of things went really well on that. Oh, I was thought you said really you know? wrong. I was no, like, come no, no, on, no. we just talked about no, this. No, 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 See, I have this problem where I don't give myself enough credit most uh, of the time. Yeah, okay. So, um, being able to watch it, you know, I sat back there, like, behind one of my really good friends who's an amazing director, and I was just like, like, kind of pooping myself the entire time. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, he's going to hate it. Like, and projecting my insecurity onto him. And then the minute the audience, like, showed that they really enjoyed the show, I just went... <sighs> and just let it all out. It yeah, weird. and I could sit back and I could go, okay, if I were to do this again, I would clean this up, clean this up, okay, this transition. And then, like, you know, just watch it with more respect towards my work and not judge it as much. Like, what's your background into, like, getting into the stage? Like, I know you play piano, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But, um, like, did you, like, how did you kind of work your way into being like, I want to be a director? I mean, we just brought up how now I'm realizing production is probably something I want to do. Yeah. What's your background story for it? Uh, well, it's, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, I started off really wanting to act. Uh, I was nine, and my parents took me to see a community theater production of Oliver, which I'm pretty sure had Charlotte Pines. Do you remember Charlotte? No idea. Who she okay, is. Charlotte was the year above me, but she and I went to school together, and she's been very successful as an actor oh, here in New York. Her. I'll Google her when I'm. Done. Yeah, she's great. And um, uh, Charlotte was, I'm pretty sure, one of the work boys in this production, mm-hmm. and it was before I even knew who she was. But um, I said, "Oh, okay, I want to do that," and so I started getting involved with the community theater. And then a theater company opened up like an hour away from us, called the Theater Company at Hubbard Hall. And they started doing these really fantastic classical works. So that introduced me to, like, Shaw, O'Neill, Chekhov, um, and then a lot of other playwrights that aren't done as well but are really great, like Brian Friel, Mm -hmm. um, Singe, who's... We saw The Playboy of the Western World, which is, like, an amazing play that just doesn't get done a lot. Yeah. Um, And a lot of things like that. And that kind of more or less informed exactly what I was going for with my work. And then I got to New Paltz, and I was doing the acting thing, and then, you know, I, it wasn't happening the way I wanted it to, and so I took a step back and I did more piano playing, mm. um, which actually led me to a lot of places, because when I graduated, a lot of my friends who were technici- technicians uh, got me jobs at places like uh, the Alpine Theater Project in Montana, 
fantastic. Yeah, and then uh, Corey Frank, who's another alumni of New Paltz, who works in D.C. now. He's a fantastic lighting designer. He got me involved with a company called No Rules Theater Company. And then, you know, I got to do a lot of different things like that. Playing piano. Yeah. Now, is this just for, like... um accompaniment for shows or just uh, for like read-throughs and stuff no um, i was full-blown music directing thing oh fantastic you know and it was great you know i didn't actually live anywhere i lived out of a suitcase and you know i would come back to new york and i'd say to myself oh i'll get an apartment now <laughs> and then i would like get a phone call out of the blue and i would get to go to any number of fantastic places i got to go to san diego and los angeles how and long were you doing like was this over a two-year like period? three- or four-year period. Because you only just recently moved back to New York. Yeah, I moved back to New York last year because um, after I worked at Noe Rules Theater Company, I became really uh, genuinely invested in the idea of what it means to be a director. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was music directing You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which was directed by Matt Cowart, who's a really amazing director. And he was hands down the most positive director I had worked with at that point. Okay. I said, there is something to this. And I kind of put it on the back burner. And then I was doing another production a little down the line. And the director was just like, really cutting down all the actors. Like, really just like, like, these actors were so talented. And he... Was he just trying to like, do like a Kubrick thing where he's like, I'm going to push you to the limit. Uh, He didn't know how to speak to them. So he Mm. would get frustrated and then take it out on them that he didn't know how to talk to them. Right. Because that turns into, you're stupid, you don't know what I'm so saying. So just a bad manager. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it was just really hard for me to watch because I felt the world of these actors. And um, having been through some difficult experiences with the negativity of directors as an actor, I became mm-hmm. uber-sensitive to it. And so I went to North Carolina School of the Arts in their directing program. And that really turned things around for me in terms of how I approach things and how I talk to actors. And so now that I'm in New York, that's just what I'm, I'm focusing on. And it's been really good so far because I think that I'm way better at talking to actors, especially when I see things that don't work. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a director who's just cutting down actors, not arbitrarily, but out of insecurity, it, it really illuminates the importance of being positive with people whose gift is very fragile. So you're, so you're very much in the, the cultivation side of yeah. acting and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think flowers grow after thunder. Ooh, that's a good one. Did yeah. you make that up yourself? I just, or? I pulled that out of my Holy behind crap. right now. <laughs> like some text right underneath there and it's going to be wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when I got to do the ugly one, cause I directed a play that I was just like, like, totally ashamed of it. And I felt like I was really apologizing for it for, like, several months afterwards. And right? Yeah, yeah, and then when by the time The Ugly One got around, I realized that, like, like my positivity towards the directing and producing of that show is really what got me through it. Because no matter what judgments are thrown out of you, uh, thrown at you, rather, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's how much you love something that's going to deflect whatever comes at you. Right. It's more that whole, like... You're, I mean, because in the end, you're, you're doing it more for yourself and for these people that you work... Like, the mm-hmm. team. And yeah. it's less about trying to, you know, like, impress people or get mm-hmm. a certain reaction. Yeah, I didn't care if people liked it or not. Well, I just needed to get it out, you know? You should actually watch that film, Frank, because, like, that's kind of the main message. Absolutely. It's like making music for the sake of making music mm-hmm. and, like, just the, the joy of it, regardless of whether or not it's good, mm-hmm. which I think is a really important message, especially whenever you're pursuing any type of creative things. And with the internet nowadays, um, I feel like 
you know, there's an audience out there for everything. It varies in size, and but like you know, for whatever reason, like uh, you know, you have like these twenty people who are really into your blog. Yeah, you know? like and yeah, like, absolutely. Well, those twenty people it matters a lot too, and like right. you, know, you kind of you have to take that and be like, this is great. You know, even if no one cares, just kind of do it for yourself, and people will come into it. Yeah, I was actually very surprised at how many people showed up to the ugly one because mm-hmm. like I, I didn't do much in the way of marketing, but then like before I knew it, opening night was sold out. How many how many uh, performances? Did we you did do? three performances, and I really should have done a weekend of performances, but I didn't really have the money for the rights and it was close to Christmas and all these things but like if that show could have run a week longer it would have been like but now it was you know, you know it was like a, it was a good taste yeah it was really good but I really wanted to give the actors another week and I would love to do it again Bringing up your piano playing again, like, uh, do you do, now do you only play, like, written stuff? Do you write your own? Um... I compose a little bit, but for the most part, you know, um, I feel like I'm better suited towards just coaching at the moment. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. You know, um, I have friends who come to me for, for just, they have an audition, and I'm happy to play for them, but, and I'm good at just sort of, like, picking up things and playing them, mm-hmm. but in terms of the finesse of being, of, what do I want to say? In terms of what it takes to be a very fine musician, it's just not something that I want to pursue at the moment. So, so you, as, so you're not going to be necessarily in a bar like playing, you know, Billy Joel style, like in, I like, might the background. If you, you know, need, if things get dire enough, you, <laughs> you could. Be you know, like, it actually might be very fun. Yeah, actually, because people do it. people get drunk and like they hear a song that they like, and they're like, "Ooh, here's twenty bucks, play another." Oh, I've never had that happen. Yeah, but, it happens. Uh-huh. It's like it's it's like almost on the level of being a bartender. Oh, true. Yeah. And, and, like, a bartender meets, like, a DJ who has to take people's requests. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, play that one by Britney Spears. Yeah, but then you have to have, like, the memory for... for... I know a pianist who's, like, amazing, and he knows 16,000 songs off the top of his head. Like, he, that's, like, the number? Mm-hmm. Or did you make Somewhere around there. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. around there. Um, but, like, he also wakes up every morning, he's like, I'm going to play something new. And it's just, like, he has a capacity for, mm-hmm. for memorizing music like that, and that's just not what I'm focused on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, totally. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the directing is going really well. And um, you had mentioned that you have a Kickstarter video coming out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we're producing Giancarlo Minotti's The Medium mm-hmm. in October, and I'm really excited about it. I can't tell you too much about casting yet because it's not finalized, That's but right. That's right. it's going to be a really good group of people. The team that we have assembled so far is like... So tell me a little bit like about the uh, project and just like, um, I don't know, what drew you to it and about it and everything. Well, what really interests me most about the theater is is where everything kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. And Minotti is a very uh, underrepresented writer, I think, because essentially he's writing an opera, but he also writes operas that appeal to people who would go see a play. Oh. So he bridges the world between opera and drama in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he wrote not only the music, but he also wrote the libretto. And so it's just really tangible acting material. And it's about this woman who's a phony psychic n- named Baba. But her psychic name is Madame Flora. And she preys on people who are grieving. Okay, yeah. You know, yeah. most of the people who come to her have lost children or something very terrible. And um, she, she employs her daughter Monica and then this mute boy named Toby 
to really um, play up the theatrics of what goes on in seance. Like, Monica yeah. will provide the voice of, like, uh, a deceased baby boy who drowned or the daughter of this woman. And they really prey on these people so they keep coming back. Ah. And what makes the event of the play interesting is that it's the day that um, Baba taps into something that is higher than herself. And while she's in the middle of one of her seances, something touches her on the neck and she bugs out. And that's the, I mean, that's like the crux of the whole... Yeah, I can't say too much without getting, giving it away, even though right, it's a totally. famous piece, but I don't want anyone to come in knowing what's going to happen. So, <laughs> so don't Wikipedia it? Is that the deal? Like, you get the synopsis? You but, could. You right, could. I won't, I won't. But, um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting piece for, for actors who sing. It sounds like, I mean, it also sounds like it's got all the elements for perfect opera material. It's, yeah, you know, you have yeah. The, and it's kind of Breaking Bad-esque where you have, like, the... The protagonist is also, like, the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And kind of, yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. It's super interesting. And the music is very haunting. It sounds very much like, um, like not necessarily Bernard Herrmann, who wrote a lot of the music to Alfred Hitchcock movies. Okay. But it's definitely in that vein. So just, like, a little little airy, a little ethereal kind of, like... I like to t- think of it like Sweeney Todd in a psychic parlor. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. good. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this writer just sort of gets me very excited, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't, you can't phone it in. Tell me exactly, like, what you are raising the money for on Kickstarter, and what are your prizes going to be? <laughs> we're actually talking about the prizes now, because in this space, there's uh, a table that we're planning on using for the table for the seance. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking that if you donate X amount, you get to sit at the table. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, because we want to make it very immersive, so when you come into this space, um, it's like, oh, are you here for the seance? Ah, I like that. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, we want to make it as interactive as possible mm. because we live in an age of both uh, a very dire need for stimulation because we're always on our phones. Right. And then also we need um, theater that's as stimulating as technology. And people like to be uh, invited in, I think, a little bit more than I, t- I we mean, typically I have a rule where if I'm going to go to any live performance, I have to be in the front row. Well, there is no front row here. Oh, is it just yeah. standing room? Well, it's a big or? room. I mean, you, we're rearranging it, and it's mm-hmm. going to have 50 seats, and we're just kind of messing with the playing space. And I think this is actually the first time the West End has done something like this. So it's this. just going to be like one row. Yeah, one ah. big room, and then you know everybody's going to be sitting around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited because I believe that like if you read a play and you like it and you see exactly how you should do it, then you shouldn't do it. Because if you're not going to explore and figure out how it works, then it's not... It's not worth it if you know what you're going to do already. Oh, okay. You know, some people have shows down to a science, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But for me, I like to be able to um, solve, problem solve yeah. and figure out very quickly what needs to happen. So and you like to make things complicated yeah. for yourself. No, not necessarily. <laughs> but, like, I think really well on my feet, mm-hmm. and I don't like to... I find that if you make uh, a judgment, whether it's good or bad, you shoot yourself in the foot because right. it, shoot, it closes you off to any other possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um... So, sorry, my mind blanked. For Raising a money. Raising money. Right. So, yeah. So, what exactly? So, like? we may have um, we may have seats that 
uh, you can sit in uh, that are an active part of the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we may have, you know, some little prizes from small business owners that we're friendly with that we may give away as part of uh, either the Kickstarter campaign or a silent auction at the Cabaret on September 20th. Oh, fantastic. Um you know, and we're raising money not just for this production, but also for a possible production in the spring. Now, is this on behalf of your uh, the theater you just started? Like yeah, the theater yeah. company? Okay, so it's not just for the production so much as it is just like... To keep things going. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I want this theater company to be as much of an artistic home for me as it is for people whose work I admire. And what's the, the company called? We're calling it Taksu Theater Company. Taksu, now why Taksu? Taksu is a word that I appropriated from Balinese dance, which is totally geeky of me. <laughs> but I studied mask with this guy named Per Brahe, and he always talks about the Taksu. And it's a fancy way of saying that someone has it, but... In Balinese dance, it means that someone is no longer dancing with just themselves, but that something otherworldly has happened with them, and that they are now dancing with the gods. Oh, that's quite fantastic. So there are different uh, levels of what we talk about, like divine light, that appear mm-hmm. through my work, and so I just think it kind of all goes together. That's beautiful. That's great. Very well done. Well, I mean, Baba, who's in the medium, gets what's coming to her. And at right. the end, she she hasn't figured out the answer to her question. And she thinks that, you know, she actually prays at one point, And she's an atheist at the beginning of the show. Oh. So, well, you know, I don't consciously choose shows. Like, my gut instinct said, maybe you should do the medium. And sometimes I stumble across why I'm doing it right, along the you way. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't sure why I was doing the ugly one other than the gut response I had. And then across the period of rehearsing it, I was like, oh, this is why. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't always make decisions why before I do things. But, you know, um, it's important to be able to keep going with things. Right. Because I have at this point amassed an army of, like, super talented people and people have come up to me they're like what are you doing next I want in on this and you know uh, I try to make it as little about me as possible so I just want to make sure that you know I pick a play that I'm really interested in and I can keep doing it without running into financial issues you know so that's the thing you know you can have all the people in the world that are willing to work for you which I'm so grateful for but at the same time at the end of the day I think people should be paid for their work that's great. I think there's a lot of people out there who would really appreciate that. Yeah, too. yeah. People um, need to eat. Artists need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> right? We don't get those. We don't get these awesome bodies for nothing. Well, yeah. by eating nothing, actually. We yeah. Really do. But um, so bringing it around to the final question, which is always one of my favorite questions. But uh, tell me the story behind your couch. And now, is this an IKEA couch? It is an IKEA couch. Because the last uh, interview I did, um, a girl had a couch very similar. It was L shape and everything, but it was not IKEA. She said, "I think it was like Target or something." Okay. And I was like. Mm. Um, <laughs> nope, but anyway. Well, okay, so we moved into this apartment at the beginning of July, and um, at our last place, we didn't have a living room. We lived on the Upper East Side, we had no living room, and the kitchen just sort of immediately went into the bathroom. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, it, we're lucky that we all get along so well that we didn't get into many... Is it the same roommates? Yeah, yeah. Oh, more or less a couple of people. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Uh, we we only ran into issues when it uh, came to no wait what do I want to say edit edit just kidding <laughs> just kidding just kidding um, what we didn't have many issues concerning the space itself because mm-hmm. we didn't have a living room so we didn't fuss over um, uh, you know chairs or couches because we just didn't have them right. so when we moved here we wanted to make sure that like it was exactly what we wanted and we went through like 
tons of different ideas for couches and dishes and blah, 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 anything you can imagine. And then, finally, uh, Alejandro's mom was really generous, and she, she took Alejandro to Ikea, bought him this couch, and we all just, I just... That's fine, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> all right. Alejandro's mom bought us this couch, and it also folds out into a futon, because we have a lot of people coming in and out, like some of our friends might be coming in from... Uh, a gig that they had, so like they might be looking for a sublet. Mm-hmm. So while they're doing that, we have this bed that we can offer them for the night. Actually, that was like when um, Ray and I were looking for a couch. That was like my thing. I was like, I have family, I have friends, I need them to stay on my, like a couch. It needs yeah. to pull out. It needs to pull out. I think it's like not having a couch that can can do that. Like mm-hmm. kind of, it kind of sucks, you know. Like you want to be able to offer someone something nice to sleep in, and like yeah, you know. Well, before we had an air mattress that we would put like either next to one of our beds. Or in the kitchen, but then, like, the door would open in the middle of the night because someone was working late, and they would wake up the person that was sleeping in the kitchen, and it was all kinds of, like, we're lucky that we all like each other a well, lot. This is also a beautiful space. It's and an amazing I, The dishes look great. They match the couch very well. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> But um, that being said, uh, Miles, thank you so much. No problem, um, it's man. It's a pleasure having you here, and uh, this is Other People's Couches. Thank you.
Today's featured guest was Miles Manduel. Original music today was also provided by Miles. Links to his website, theater company, and Indiegogo campaign are in the description. Thanks so much for listening.